Presented by The 910 Comedy Podcast Network. And we are back. I am Minda. And I'm Jenna. And we are joined today by the one and only doll father, David Sloan, keeper of Key West's infamous Robert the Doll. David freaking Sloan is hanging out with us today, and we could not be any more excited. Hey, David. Hey, I'm excited too. Yeah. So once again, we are Dead Girls Talking Podcast. We're so excited if you're joining us for the first time. If you are, check out all our previous episodes. But if this is your first one, you landed on a really solid start. I'm just going to say that. You join us at a good time. Yeah. So I was just in Key West. And when I was down there, I went to the Hemingway house and my tour guide was really cool. And I asked her, her name was Sarah. And I said, okay, I keep seeing ads. And I knew about Robert the Doll because obviously we're on a paranormal podcast. I said, but is it worth it? And she's like, you got to go. She's like, you will absolutely have to go. So I was like, I'm up for a good time. So I went and that is where I met Mr. David Sloan and was terrified for about two and a half hours. I was in Key West the year before and there was construction going on on the tour route to the Robert the Doll leg of the horror tour. So I am extremely jealous of Menda and uh, she really made it up to me by bringing David onto the podcast today. (laughs) So for for listeners, I I got you a shirt too. She also got me a shirt. She is the best. (laughs) So if you're out there and you're not familiar um, with the legend of Robert the Doll, uh, it really kicks Annabelle's ass. Uh, David, can you tell us a little bit of backstory? A yeah. lot of it. They say that Robert the Doll is the world's most haunted doll. And whenever you tell people that, everybody does say, what about Annabelle? And if you look at the facts, you know, Annabelle got the Hollywood treatment. But you can count on one hand the number of people who have been possessed by Annabelle. If you want to do that with Robert the Doll, you're going to need a thousand hands. And uh, I think Which it sounds terrifying already. Yeah. And I think you can, I think it's safe to argue that he is the world's most haunted doll because people encounter things with him every day at the museum where he's located. But it's not like he just became a museum artifact and came out of nowhere. His story goes back 117 years. And uh, for a long time, nobody in Key West knew where he was made or where he came from. I was able to discover he was created by the Steiff Company in Germany. And he was given as a gift to a Key West boy named Robert Eugene Otto. And the Ottos, his grandfather had emigrated from Prussia. So, you know, that was their connection for family going back there. And the parents brought the doll back and gave it as a gift to the boy. And he became entranced with the doll. And Is this the basis for the Chucky movies? I'm just putting this together. Oh, no. I, I wonder if it's like. No, no, wait. He's going to get to that. A boy loves a his big, doll. This was a big hot point when, when I was speaking to him in person. Yeah, oh. that's from the legends. You know, people say that he's the inspiration for Chucky. And it's understandable because when it comes to a doll um, taking on human characteristics and, and doing these things, uh, Robert's the original you know, the first one that people were talking about doing it, the first one recording it. You know, you go back to the early 1900s, 1904, uh, and they say that that as early as that, people were having problems with the doll. The stories from Conks, from people outside of the family, uh, those started appearing in the 1950s when kids would look up and see the doll moving in the window on its own. Um, So I think any doll story could be loosely traced, but when you talk to the guy who created Chucky, absolutely not. It had nothing to do with Robert the doll. So, uh, so that's just one of those legends. It's a good one. But, but the real Robert Otto, like his obsession did not end in childhood. Am I, tell me if I'm remembering this incorrectly. Didn't he try to take it on his honeymoon or like he got married and he, the doll came with, right? That's one of the legends. Yeah. Uh, what happened? He, he gets the doll as a boy. And by all accounts, he became very much entranced with the doll and he'd take it with him everywhere as a child. And when he got in trouble for things that kids did, uh, he'd always say, "Uh, but I didn't do it. Robert did it. You know, they say that he used to push his servants into the closet and he'd hold the door behind them. Uh, Those types of things. And this continued up until he turned 18. But when he turned 18, he wanted to be an artist. So he left Key West. And when he left, he put Robert into his toy box. And he put the toy box in the attic at the back of the house. 
And Robert sat there for many, many years, locked away in the box. And his, uh, when Gene went off, he went to Paris to become an artist. Uh, and he met his wife over there. So they meet in Europe and Robert's not with him. Uh, after that, they moved to New York. And you fast forward to 1945. That's when Gene's mother got sick. And they returned to be with her when she died. And they made the decision not to go back to New York. They moved into his childhood home. And this is when the wife met Robert. I don't think she had a clue what was waiting for her. This is why you don't marry dudes on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Like, number one, moral of this first part of the story that right there, people don't understand, I think, how large the doll is. It's yeah. not like a raggedy Ann. Like, it's kind of a larger toy. So it it's big. <laughs> it's a little scary just in that moment. It's a small child. And yes. There's two different theories. I spoke to some Stipe experts. He's extremely rare. Um, there's only two others similar that I'm aware of. And when the Stife company made him, he was a clown. Uh, so uh, he became a sailor later on, but he used to, he was probably made to sit in a uh, store window, like an FAO Schwartz or something like that. And he would have been used to sell, small, to sell smaller versions of himself. He almost looks like um, one of those where you would get the matching outfit for the boy and the doll and then take a, a cute picture that well, is embarrassing at graduation. He's large enough to wear a boy's clothes. Yeah. And yeah. That he was wearing today when he's wearing the sailor outfit, that outfit actually belonged to Gene Otto. The, it belonged to the little boy. We have photographs oh. of him wearing that exact outfit. And there's documentation that they used to share everything. You know, he shared the name, um, he shared the clothing. And then later on, when Robert had a new owner, she used to put him in uh, different outfits that Gene had. How did he come to have this new owner? Well, when Gene died, uh, the house ended up being sold. You know, Gene developed Parkinson's disease and he spent his last 10 years up in the tower room of the house with Robert the doll, just slowly losing his mind. And during that time he changed his will and he wrote his wife out of the will and she had given up everything for him. So she got the house, but none of the contents. Everything went to the sister. And the sister came and took the valuables. She took the antiques, the paintings, and left the wife with nothing but Robert the doll and some other and, Could you imagine? <laughs> and she hated Robert the doll. I mean, she absolutely hated him. I talked to friends. Uh, and so she sold the house because she couldn't afford to live there anymore. She sold it for $50,000. Uh, and she moved in up Key to, West. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous. To uh, Boston with her sister and died of pancreatic cancer a few years mm. later. So Myrtle Reuter bought the house and she came in and she found Robert sitting in that toy box in Gene Otto's bedroom. And she took Robert out and she thought, oh, I love this doll. This doll's uh, it's got a, a childlike energy to it. And she started treating it like a child. So and that is to say chaotic and scary because I have children and that's the energy that they bring to the table. Mm -hmm. So what, what mischief did he cause in her life? Do they, do they blame him for all of it? It seems like there's a lot of disease in the story and illnesses and untimely death. Yeah. And you know, Parkinson's disease seems to be a trend that continues. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne disrespected Robert the doll and was diagnosed shortly after. What did he do? Ozzy came to so Jack Osborne was down here filming Haunted Highway. I introduced him to Robert. Um, he brings his dad back a couple of years later. And Ozzy disrespects Robert the doll almost immediately. And then they bought one of the little Roberts and they took it on vacation with them. They filmed they filmed Ozzy and Jack's world detour and they blamed the doll for everything. And then Ozzy tried to kill the doll. He stuck it in a microwave, <laughs> tried to blow it up on the beach. And he thought it was funny and probably thought it was good TV. And it was. But Robert didn't appreciate it. Ozzy's had, I think, a dozen near-death experiences since then. He got a staph infection in his thumb, put him in the hospital, almost died. Uh, developed pneumonia, put him in the hospital. He almost died. Um, cracked his head open. He fell. There, there's a clip where he's talking to his son about Robert. And he says, Jack, there's no such thing as ghosts. 
you tell somebody they're going to lose sensation in their left arm enough times, they're going to lose sensation in their left arm. And then Ozzy fell and cracked his spine and lost sensation in his left arm for several months. And wow. I had tickets to go see him and he got it. That was Robert the doll. Yeah. You can blame Robert. <laughs> Ozzy still blame Robert in their new show. The Osbournes want to believe in both seasons. Jack's brought out the little Robert doll and Ozzy freaks. He says, get it the hell away from me. That thing's trying to kill me. It's and scary. I don't know how you work with them day in and day out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he and I have come to an understanding. I went through, I went through a living hell. Yeah, tell tell Jenna a little bit about that, because boy, howdy! Like, if I I don't know that I could have gone back into work after what what you went through. I, I went through a very dark period, and you know, it's it was when I was writing the book about Robert, and first it was lights flickering at certain points when I was writing certain things, uh, and then it was objects moving around the house, things slamming over in the house. One of the freakiest. I was walking the dog. And it had just rained, and there was this giant palm frond, probably about 20 feet long. The thing, uh, it's about 20 feet from us. It lifts up in the air, okay? And these things are heavy. They don't lift mm -hmm. up in the air on their own. It lifts up. It flies towards us and, boom, drops right at my feet. The dog freaks out and kind of runs backwards. I walk back with the dog, and I'm looking, thinking, well, that's odd. The thing picks up again and comes, and does it again. <laughs> There was no doubt it was something saying, saying, we're watching you. We're on you. And then I developed such weird things with electricity. I mean, we've all had static shocks. This mm -hmm. wasn't static shock. I had strong volts of electricity coming out of my hand. I'd touch things and my hand would fly back with great force. It sounds like you're a Pokemon master. Yeah, it was, it was, it was so freaky. And sounds then, terrifying. And then what became the worst for me is I developed dual thoughts and it was like, I had my own thoughts on one side and then these other thoughts were creeping in and imagine like a pizza dough on your head filled with someone else's thoughts. And it just keeps soaking in further and further. And it got to the point where I couldn't differentiate which thoughts were mine and which ones were, were the other things. And I mean, terrible, terrible thoughts. Uh, the worst one that I remember um, it was, it was a knife stabbing into my dog's paw, mm. oh. which is obviously something I never think myself. Yeah. And these thoughts started taking over. And then when I couldn't tell which were mine and which were the others, uh, and it kept attacking me at my house. So I'd leave my house. I started hanging out of the church for the first time back at church since, you know, since I was probably 14. What's the span of time that this went on? Well, it continued for about six weeks. Okay, six weeks. Oh. And I started sleeping behind the church, uh, but I started getting attacked there. I remember friends coming up and checking on me there. And I was behind the, the grotto that they have there, the, the, the grotto to Mary. And I came out and I was just bawling. I'd, I'd, been, I'd been sobbing for like, for like days. And they said, what can we do? And I told them, I, I said, look, I said, I'm either insane or possessed. And I honestly don't know which it is, but there's not a damn thing you can do about either of them. So at this time, you were, Robert, you, you're working at the museum. Robert lives at the museum. I wasn't doing anything at the museum at the time. You know, I did, I started the first ghost tours downtown in Key West. And I started researching Robert then, but it was a different company. The, the trolley company is separate from me. Uh, Ghosts and Gravestones, and they do great tours. They yeah, were the nice. ones who used to take people to see Robert. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't do that anymore. Uh, but so I wasn't at the museum. I was just researching the doll. And, and with all of my research, I had uncovered so much. Uh, and, you know, I was finally able to piece the story together. And the way that happened, uh, I discovered that there were, there were several boxes in the library in the archives. They have a big hurricane proof archive with, I mean, with, with millions of documents. And uh, I saw a picture of their wedding and I asked the person, I said, where'd you get this? And they said, Oh, there's a, there's a box. So I talked to the historian and, and it was, it was several boxes and it had letters between the Otto family. Um, it had documents. It talked about Jean's will and it pieced the entire story together. And we're, we're able to find out, you know, you trace each legend back individually. 
and you, mm-hmm. you get these incredible nuggets. So with all of that, it was no longer just the legend of, oh, you know, created by an angry servant or created by an angry nanny with voodoo. We were able to find out hard evidence of what happened. Uh, and I think, you know, what I didn't understand at the time, Robert's not a single entity. There's multiple entities. Yeah, it's interesting that it, proximity to the doll doesn't seem to matter for most people in this story because you, you weren't like you weren't Ozzie around him. Away. Oh yeah, yeah. Like even even Ozzy getting you know Roberted. And what we've come to learn, so through my research, I was able to find a nanny associated with the family. She, uh, Emmeline Abbott, she was a servant for the autos. She was a nanny to Eugene. I found where she filed a lawsuit against his father in the 1920s. So she was an angry nanny at one point and she lost a child. In the 1900 census, she has no kids. In the 1920 census, she has no children. I'm sorry, 1910, she has no children living, one child dead. And when her child was sick, she would have gone to Jean's father, who was the doctor. And I, I believe that the child died in the Otto family home. And I think the child entered Robert the doll. Do you think that that was the first one to enter Robert the doll? I think that was probably the first one. You know, I suspect that, that Gene was putting some of his emotions into the doll as well. Very um, poltergeisty. Yeah. So I think he was dealing with some stuff and, uh, and put some stuff in there. And then, you know, I think he was friends with the child who died and that child. So you have the one, but then there for so many years, you're familiar with the uncanny Valley, which talks about the sense of dread we have when something looks a little too human. Mm -hmm. And Robert's felt fallen into the uncanny Valley all of his life. So there's 117 years of people thinking he's evil and that draws evil towards it. And when I was writing the book and exposing the, the child spirit, I think the, the darker spirits that have nested in Robert and made that a home didn't like that. And that's why I was having issues. Hmm. How did it finally resolve? Well, it, it, was, it, was, it was rough. Um, I got yanked out of bed. And that's when it was too much for even me. Uh, and when you when, when you say yanked out of bed, you do not mean that your wife was like, stop snoring, get your butt out of here. You yeah. mean I was I was pulled several feet into the air, probably five or six feet into the air. And when it happens, it's not frightening. It's just confusing. So I yelped and my wife wakes up and she says, what's wrong? And I'm trying to figure out in my brain, is it sleep paralysis? Am I dreaming? So I, I'm feeling below me. So I know it's not sleep paralysis. Yeah. And I tell her, I said, I'm falling out of bed. And she said, she said, well, get back in. <laughs> And she goes back to sleep. That's women. We're like, what's your problem? (laughs) My hands were still moving though. And after 45 seconds of this, I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I looked up, you know, it was dark in the room. I'd been looking to the sides trying to figure out what's happening. I look up. I realize that I'm a couple of feet from the ceiling. Mm. Ah. And I freaked. I absolutely freaked. And I shouted. I'm like, I'm like, Oh God, help me. And when I said that I dropped, and I wasn't over my bed. I was about six feet to the left of it. What was her take on all this? Because I mean, you'd been you'd been sleeping outside behind a church for several. She was, she was totally freaked out. She wasn't yeah. like time we had just started dating. Oh no! And she never believed in ghosts at the time. <laughs> she believed me, and she believed what was happening. She started getting freaked out. And she's a believer now. Oh yeah, been around enough of it. Uh, but I couldn't even get up. When I hit the floor, I hit so hard. I mean, it, I mean, it was a hard fall. I grabbed my computer and I went on Facebook and I put out a post. I said, I'm dealing with an entity I can't handle and I desperately need help. Please don't comment on this if you're not here to help me. Uh, and, you know, I used to think, oh, I'm Mr. Ghost Guy. I know everything. Uh, you know, I, I had I had that ego. And and this was very humbling. It made me realize how little I know. A Santeria priest came over. And he went through the house and he told me, he said, David, I'm not getting anything. But when he got into the bedroom, his whole demeanor changed. And he said, hey, listen, he said, uh, there's something very strong here and I can't deal with it on my own. I'm going to need to bring some of my Santeria family from Miami. And, you know, I was willing to pay anything for this. And I figured that's when they say, oh, this is going to cost $5,000. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't charge me a dime. 
Oh. They did help. And he brought several members of his Santeria family down. And this was a couple of weeks after, you know, it took time for this to happen. And I still went through hell in between. And when they showed up, you know, we had arranged for a day. And then he called me. He said, we're out in front of your house. Can we come in now? And I said, yes. He said, he said, good. We need to surprise it. And they came in and they started making marks on the doors with, uh, with the cascaderia powder. They started mixing up some stuff. And this is the middle of the afternoon. It wasn't like nighttime with candles burning. Uh, but what they did is called a Misa Espiritual. It's a spirit mass. Um, there's about 30, 40 minutes of saying prayers in Spanish. And then uh, I called a friend of mine from down the street to, to come and observe in case anything happened, because I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, when they called on the spirits, I saw a spirit enter as clearly as I see the two of you right now. Mm. What did um, it look like? Uh, it was my friend's brother who had committed suicide. Mm. And I was angry because I was thinking, I'm the one who needs the help. Um, this guy's hijacking my Misa. Right. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I mean, because I was at wits. I, it, was the, it was the lowest point of my life. So to see that I'm like, I'm like, oh, this guy's not here to help me. What? I'm like, why did I even invite my friend? This, this is what I didn't realize at the time is every single person there had a visitation by their spirits and different spirit guides. Mm. So with a Misa, it's not just a one person thing. It's to help everybody there. Even the people leading the Misa had their spirits come in. And his brother told him, I mean, he was, he started crying because he was, uh, my friend started crying because uh, he wasn't expecting any of this. And his brother told him several things that nobody would know. I mean, this guy, this guy was my confidant. And the, the things that came through, nobody in that room knew. Uh, and then when it did get to me, they introduced me to several of my spirit guides. Were they family members? Yeah, a lot of them were family members, not all of them. My grandfather was there, my great aunt. And it was interesting because I could see each of them when they appeared. But the person leading the Misa, I don't know if she knew if I could see or not. So she described people as oh. they are. And, you know, she described my grandfather's injured knee. Uh, and then someone appeared who looked a lot like my uncle. And my uncle looks a lot like me. Mm. Um, but, but it was a boy. And I was trying to figure out who it was. And this little boy was just kind of smiling kind of slyly at me. And I asked the person leading the Misa, I said, could somebody appear older? I'm sorry, younger than they are. And the, the little boy shook his head. And then the lady said, no. And then I thought, wait a minute. I said, could somebody younger appear older? And the little boy smiled. And she said, yes, it's your older brother. Mm. My mom had lost a child at eight and a half months of, of pregnancy. Oh. oh. Boy named David. And so this, this, he's one of my spirit guides. And she told me, she said, she said, remember when you hear the laughing in the shower? I'm like, oh, my, how does she know about that? And she said, that's, that's him. And whenever you're feeling playful, that's him around. So, um, so that was cool. Oh, look, I've got a visitor. <laughs> my demon hunter is here. <laughs> What's his name? His name's Odorous Urungus. Oh, that's. <laughs> beautiful i'm i'll get a cat here in a second i locked mine up because i'm i can't deal with my bulldog he's yeah. all in my face barbara likes to make a cameo on our podcast well she's a russian blue so you've got these family members coming in through the veil you've got your your friend his brother who had sadly committed suicides coming through the veil mm -hmm. so it's kind of like we're assembling the the avengers at this point right yeah native american spirit arrived and, is, and, and how did that play in? Was that just a land spirit or someone connected to you? That, that was someone who was there for all of us. And he was channeled through one of the different people there. And okay. he came and spoke to each of us. This was uh, his community service. Yeah. But but the thing is, with, with the language that he was speaking, um, none of us could. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was like we could understand, but but we didn't. It wasn't a language that we spoke. Yeah. Um, it Not was, very helpful. It, no, it was extremely helpful. Okay. With everything that happened, I, I think that took took us even further in. And the energy, it, and this whole process probably took five or six hours. I didn't clock it exactly. Uh, 
And then the point came, you know, after hours of this, the point came where they were ready to remove the spirits from me. And what they told me was that if I had been raised in their religion, I'd be a very powerful person, but that I was never taught how to use my spirit communication abilities. So what was happening is um, spirits would think that I could communicate and they'd come in, but then I never communicated and it would create this chaos within. And there were you, not- you were you were ghosting them. Yes. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah. And so they started creating this chaos and there wasn't just one spirit in me. There were dozens and dozens that they had to remove. And of all these spirits, they also removed these, these two dark entities that have been described with Robert the doll. These two eight foot tall creatures that caused so many of the problems. And the one part I remember of this, I remember they took a sunflower and they put it on my head and kind of pressed it into my head. And when they did that, I dropped and, uh, you know, they had had me standing up and, and, you know, they supported me as I fell and I went down and I felt everything leave and I woke up and I felt like a newborn baby. Yeah. And, uh, it was just such a transformation from what I had been through. And I'd, developed this new respect for the spirit world, I realized how little I know. You know, I used to think I knew everything about it. And this experience made me realize that I've only brushed the surface. Uh, and I started practicing Santeria because I felt like I owed it to the Santeria religion, since that's what ultimately helped me. And uh, I went to Miami to some of the ceremonies there. And I went as far as I was comfortable going. Um, and now... You know, I'm at I'm at that stage where if, if I don't have somebody to train me, I'm going to stick with <clears throat> with what I've seen. And I backtracked a lot. And I'm like, OK, I'm I'm good where I am. And there's a, a guide that they assigned to me because I was terrible at cleansing. So uh, Yemaya, she's one of the Orishas. And uh, so I've got it's either her or someone associated with her that acts as my door lady. When the spirits try to enter, they say, uh, uh-uh. uh. You're not coming in and, and yeah, she'll bouncers. be my liaison. And then I've got my family spirit guides too. So, and they removed from you multiple spirits to include those two dark entities. But now didn't those dark entities just scootle on back to the museum? Yeah. And, and they're always there. And what I didn't realize, you know, when I thought Robert was a single entity, mm-hmm. I used to believe the legend that you were supposed to ask Robert permission. Oh yeah. Please talk about this because mm. ever since I got back, everyone's like, did you ask his permission before you took that picture? I'm like, you just wait. Someone's going to explain this to you. Yeah. Robert used to mess with cameras. He still does. But back when, before they were on cell phones, you know, batteries draining in cameras was the most common thing that happened. Uh, and people would try to get their film developed. You know, they take a whole roll of pictures in Key West and when they got their pictures developed, only the pictures of Robert the doll turned out. <laughs> Led to the legend that you better ask Robert's permission. But it's a human creation. There's a human who said, uh, who said, oh, he's messing with cameras. Maybe he doesn't like his picture being taken. And then somebody else said, well, if he doesn't like it, we better ask permission. And 25 years on, that's evolved into you better ask permission or you're going to die or he's going to curse you. But with Robert the doll, it's always been about respect. And if you think about it, it's a terrible idea to ask an entity for permission, because when you do, you're putting them above you. You're not keeping equal ground, right? You lower yourself and you elevate them on a pedestal. And I didn't realize that, you know, I was kind of going along with the legend. So when I was writing the book, a first stop was to the museum. Hey, Robert, can I write this book about you? And then when stuff started going wrong, I didn't understand. I thought Robert would be happy with the stuff I uncovered you know, taking away that evilness. And uh, so every time something went wrong, I went back into the museum. Robert, I don't understand why this is happening. Can I please do this? And every time I did it, I was inviting in a different dark entity who had it in their best interest for the book not to be written. Because people, you know, these dark entities, they do better when you think you're dealing with a single entity in a doll, right? When there's multiples, they've got the upper hand. And trying to figure out these personalities, it was like, it was like, what's going on here? And every time, now that we know, every time we give energy to the child spirit, it, it takes some away from the dark ones. So, so the of course, I have, I'm sorry. 
No, you go. Oh, I have I have logistical questions about spirits. Mm-hmm. Not to not to derail us. So is there is there agenda to attach to people to spread? I don't believe so. I think their agenda is to <clears throat> protect Robert and to protect the boy or the girl. This the child spirit. That was my that was where I was going with that with the child spirit. Yeah. So Okay. Yeah. So I, what was a dark entity like that doing in a nice man like you? look at you go here's what i believe happens um the way it was described to me you have this child who's you know over 100 years old and so it's not really a child and when the child's feelings are hurt when someone disrespects it imagine that the child has like a sticky tar on its hand and it'll go up to the disrespectful person and it'll kind of tag them wipe some of that tar on them and that's when the other entities come out. Uh, you know, it's suspected there's a portal inside of Robert. So um, the primary ones seem to be those two eight foot tall creatures. So they'll come out. If they're busy, I believe that some of the other spirits in that portal will come out. And I don't know if there's dozens. I don't know if there's hundreds. But they look for that person with the tar and they latch onto them. And then they follow them home. And their sole purpose is to make that person's life hell. They completely avoided me. You have to know, Jenna, like when I went into the first room, because there's spirits all over that place. Like it's very, very haunted. It's not just in where that guy's doll is at. Like it's you're, you just, don't get attached easily. No, no. Even even David said that like he sent me because he does this thing where he'll send you alone into the room and then they're watching on like an infrared camera to see what's going on. And he sent me into the room and nothing. It was like he said, they all just like, what did you do? I was like, I don't I don't know. Yeah, you had that protection around you. Yeah. We had a lot of witch buddies, I guess. I don't know. Well, you you uh, you calmed that first room so much. Because I remember, you know, um, I sent you in with the sword, right? Yeah, with the sword. You missed so much, Jenna. I had a sword. And the sword's a trigger object to bring out the Civil War soldiers. But the energies in these... You didn't tell me that. You just sent me <laughs> in there with the sword and was like, giddy up. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah, you wrapped sausages around her and sent her out into the woods. <laughs> and here's me. Dirt to dirt. Okay, let's go. But the energy in that room, it was so calm. And when I walked in, it's the calmest I've ever felt that room. And I, I asked Minda, I, I, said, I said, what is it that you're doing? The spirits are so calm around you. I'm a mortician. They know. They like have to act right. Yeah. I should have been there. I wish you had been there. You, I would have brought you, you all the entities come to the yard. I'm a the tender entities. <laughs> yeah, You're it was cool. It's shake. not. Wait. Yeah, yeah. Her spirit I'm shake. <laughs> You're sticky. Yeah, yeah. It's wild because it's not just the spirit in the doll, the child spirit, which he disclosed to us was actually not a boy. They don't think. They think it's the daughter of that, um, the nanny housekeeper person. Mm-hmm. But then there's, and then the two entities, but there's so much stuff because David's cool. When you go to this thing, he not only like leads you on, a lot of ghost tours are just historical landmarky tours, as you know, but he gives you a spirit box. He gives you the little electric reader. Like there's so many tools. So you don't have to just take his word for it because all this stuff starts to jump dial in and wail in if there's activity. So you definitely get the full experience of more than one entity or two entities or three entities. Like there is a lot of stuff going on down there. Yeah, we use uh, we use dousing rods, EMF meters. Everybody gets an EMF meter and a dousing rod and then something cool that we started adding. Uh, I've got a nanny cam that's, that's going to do. Minda, were we using the nanny cam when? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're getting such incredible stuff. It's down this tunnel where they say that a bunch of bodies were piled up and stored during the civil war when they awaited burial. It's nuts. Uh, uh, and I've got a fleur thermal imager we use down there. REM pods, the spirit box sessions with Robert, the doll. We get some insane stuff too. That chatty. That is a very chatty spirit because it went off several times when we were in there. And then it said, I don't know that it was Robert at all, but when we were outside, it I heard my last name come through the box, which was super creepy. Yeah, I've documented more than 42 spirits at the fort. I think we're closer to like 100 now because when people do the VIP and, you, and use the spirit boards, it's like they're bringing new stuff in. Have you been scratched? Have you been assaulted in that way? 
Yeah. So I've, I've been scratched twice in there. I've still got scars on my arm from one of them. Uh, and then we had somebody scratched uh, about, a, about a week ago. And in the tunnel, you know, we store, I've been collecting supposedly possessed objects for a long time. And sometimes when we clear a house, we'll, we'll take something that they think is causing problems. But the two of the coolest things, we have a stone that somebody stole from Marie Laveau's grave in New Orleans. And mm. when people stole that. They, the real one or the one? Uh, it, it was a stone. Like it was, it was part, it, it wasn't like her actual tomb because she has a big crypt. It yeah. was a stone that somebody, I don't know if it was left there as an offering or what, but it's like an old stone. It almost looks like bone. Yeah, it's this huge point of contention that there's a lot of kind of bad information about where she actually is and what it is that's doing the interacting, if that's not her. Yeah, and, and, and who knows what it is. I think that when people place an energy somewhere, I think a lot of spirits just fill in, you know, who mm -hmm. want that energy. This stone was brought back and their dog refused to come in their house and all of their house plants died overnight. Wow. Oh. I mean, that happens here with me because I'm terrible with plants, but yes, <laughs> that's the whole reason I became a funeral director. I was like, well, I can't keep these things alive. Well, I definitely. love that all the spirits saw you and they were just like, here comes the embalmer lady. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down, which kind of sucked because I really wanted it to get wild, but um the boyfriend was with me too and he he did not want to go he does not like stuff like this at all so he was immediately freaked out when we went there but his father has passed on and he said when we got through because you have to go through several rooms before you actually get to the the mr the doll robert and what by the time you get there um he was his dowsing ride never stopped like it looked like a <laughs> it, you know it like kept on going mm -hmm. it looks like that that thing that little kids the whirly gig thing you know, his just yeah. did not stop going. He was so mad at me, but then he's, he felt and then saw his father, the spirit of his father there. Oh, and that kind of calmed him down. Um, but you know, I heard about this the whole way home. Yeah. He, it was just a, he, there was a lot of activity around me. Um, and I got, I did itch. Like when you go in there and, and I didn't realize that it was going, I was like, man, this is crazy. It started itch on my legs. And then David was like, and if you have itching, that's spirit activity. And then of course, when we got closer to the doll, I was very nauseous. What the hell is the waiver like for this tour? I don't use a waiver. Yeah. I was going to say there, I don't remember a waiver. Yeah, no. He meets you at the he meets you at the door, and he shows you videos of people who were wearing, which was wild, like crosses. People who had been gone into the exhibit that had a cross, and they'd been burned. Yeah, I've had forty nine people burned. We have a warning sign uh, before people come in, and I ask people to read the warnings. And, you know, it it urges people that if they're sensitive to this kind of stuff, that it's not the tour for them. And I'll tell people, I say, I say, listen, this is intense. We we summon spirits. We try to interact with them. Uh, if you're looking for a history tour with ghost stories, you know, yeah, we deliver that, but, but you've got to want the paranormal encounter. And we say no one under 12, you know, we don't want to expose kids to this. And a lot of, a lot of parents, they'll say, well, my kid watches all the shows. They're going to be fine. So we don't, we don't get refunds for being frightened. And, and like 10 year olds leave all the time in the first 10 minutes, they're out of there. I, I have 30 and 40 year olds who sometimes after the first 10 minutes say, no, no. But surely more. you've had somebody like get back to Connecticut and call you saying that some, something followed them home. Yeah. And what oh, we the do, letters, Oh, the letters they get are ridiculous. Robert receives, he's received close to 10,000 letters a lot from people asking him to remove his curse. Uh, I give people the rule for Robert, you know, it's respect. Uh, I tell them respect, Robert, respect his fort and you shouldn't have an issue. Uh, and I also tell them, if you, if you choose not to follow this rule, do not call me because I can't help. I don't want to get involved. You know, I mean, these are very powerful entities. Um, and a lot of people do end up writing the letter and apologizing. Um, so, yeah, if, if people have something, follow them, them home. That's on them. We do a cleansing at the end of the tour. I use four different things to cleanse. Any one of them would work fine just by itself. But we do holy water for anybody who got touched or felt the felt the felt the pains of the dead people there. Uh, and then we use the cascaria powder, which is powdered eggshell from a hen. Uh, that's something that they use in Santeria. Uh, Florida water, 
as another Santeria thing. And then I instruct people, hey, as soon as you cross that threshold, brush yourself down and tell the spirits they're not welcome to come home with you. So there was a lot of legends about him locking the servants away, as you said, and things like that, and moving around. In recent history, have you seen any evidence of him physically moving out of that little display chair? A lot of times, well, they've tied him down now. He has modified. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. I'm sure he loves that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not an easy process, you know, to to get his case off. There's they have to call the alarm company. He has an intricate alarm underneath, and then the the motion sensors inside. Uh, and then you have to, I mean, lifting the case, and it's an expensive, fragile case, so they don't bring him out much. Uh, so he kept moving around inside. So they tied him to the chair with monofilament. And then his lion that he holds, Leo, oh, the, yeah. lion, the lion was loose. There were some drunk people in there mocking him. He threw his lion at them. So now they have the lion tied to his arms as well. So a lot of the movement people see today, they'll see his foot move back and forth. People talk about him breathing where they see his sailor uniform right around his chest moving in and out as if he's breathing right there and then a lot of the movement that i that i believe the movement that i see a lot of times you look at the doll and you see him just move for a split second i believe it's actually one of the spirits going back into the portal and robert or leaving the portal so it's almost this illusion that robert's moving as something separate from him enters him and he moves stuff around. I know that you place that ball on top of the cage and the ball is kind of has a flat bottom. So it's not just going to roll off on its own, but yeah. you, you've, you shared that there's instances where he will make it move. I put the ball up there and I tell him, if you don't like somebody in here, if you don't like something going on, shove the ball. And that's happened about a dozen times. And you can always tell who it is. You can tell who the disrespectful <laughs> person is and, it's the spirit of White Claw entering the other people. Yeah, Key West is a deadly combination of uh, sensitive spirits and, and drunks. Yeah. I, yeah. It's a good time. Oh. So do the Santeria people want to close up that portal and just make him back to being an antique doll? Like, what's their thought process on that? No, they were dealing with me and helping me. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they weren't in there with the doll. So they they got rid of what was attached to me and protected me. And now, you know, it, my mission now is to help Robert and help make the child spirit stronger. So. Versus letting the child, I've been watching a lot of stranger things versus letting the child go on to the next plane or what? And what different psychics have said, mm -hmm. you know, with psychics, I will say, hate saying, Oh, a psychic said this. Because um, I think a lot of people think they're psychic, but they're really just empathic and, and they're meeting mm. people. Uh, but in my time, I have met probably five or six very gifted psychics who know things from the other side that there's no way that they'd know. Uh, and two of these have said that Robert's protecting the portal and trying to stop more of the bad ones from coming out. And that's oh. why that spirit there. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's. Yeah. that's what How would a child get that job? It was 117 years ago. They used to make kids do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Before child labor laws. <laughs> There's no child labor laws. Probably because yeah. she was pure. Cause it's a, cause he has a picture, like a spirit picture where it kind of shows a shadow of a child. And it does look very female um, and very exceptionally ad adorable. Yeah. Yeah. It's we very think sweet. Probably, um, probably a little Bahamian American girl. And the doll mm -hmm. So you're all up in with Robert the doll, but I noticed in the gift shop, you are a very prolific author. You didn't just write a book on Robert. What other books have you written? The first book I wrote was Ghosts of Key West. And that was after I started the ghost tours down here. Because mm -hmm. people are you from, are you from there originally? No, no. Uh, it's really interesting. My, my great, great, great grandfather, the first David L. Sloan, his civil war regiment was in charge of Key West. Uh, during the Civil War, and they helped build the fort where Robert the Doll is, which to me, I just found that out a year That's ago. That's wild. Totally blew me away. Uh, but he was with the Pennsylvania 47th Volunteers, so, and, and I'm from Pennsylvania. Mm. Um, so uh, I moved to Key West in 1996. 
And, uh, you know, nobody was talking about ghosts then. It, I was here for over a week before I could find a single ghost story. And I was about to leave town. I was, I was like, yeah, there's nothing well, and, here. And that's why you came down there with the explicit yeah. purpose. To do that. Ships, and I'd seen a ghost tour in Scotland. I said, oh, this is what I want to do. Oh, okay. And there, I think there were only maybe two or three ghost tours in the United States at the time. Wow. New Orleans, Chicago, and St. Augustine. Had no, Ch- Charleston? But, or Savannah, um, Savannah. I'm thinking of Savannah. Savannah may have, you know, this is before the internet. So <laughs> way back then, <laughs> nobody talked about ghost tours. They weren't really a thing in the United States. You know, now there's thousands of them. Uh, so I quit my job on the managing cruise ships, moved to Key West, slept on a friend's kitchen floor and was researching, found nothing at the library, started going to the bars and asking the bartenders, hey, is this the haunted bar? And they'd be like, nope. Nope. I said, oh, which one is? They said, nothing I heard. So I was getting ready to leave. I had my car loaded up and I got lost. And it's a small island. I don't know how I got mm-hmm. lost. I'm, I'm driving around. I'm frustrated. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And somebody appeared in the seat next to me uh, in my car and they said, go back to the library. And, and I looked at them like, I don't know where the effing library is. And I look up. I love that that was your first response and not who, why are you in my car? Exactly. I, I was so angry. I didn't even think that there was a spirit next to me. And I look up and I see a sign that says library parking only. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no way. And I pull over into the spot and I look in the seat next to me. And it's like, it's like, ah, I don't know. And then I go into the library and, and the historian was there and he hadn't been there on my previous visits. And I asked him if there was a book on the ghosts of Key West. And he said, he said, no, no. Uh, he said, no. And I said, okay. And I started to leave. He said, wait a minute. He said, there's no books, but we got plenty of ghosts. And he goes into that walk-in vault, the same one where I later found all the Robert information. And he comes back with a newspaper file about uh, two inches thick, full of clippings from the past 30 years about the haunted history of Key West. That's, I love it. Kids these days will never experience a librarian disappearing into a room and bringing back a dusty banker's box. It's magic. Full of clues. Incredible. And I started making notes and I plotted out the houses on a map and I started knocking on doors and I caught people who had been here for 20 years and 30 years. And I got their stories and their firsthand accounts and I wrote them all down and, you know, started the tours and nobody knew what they were. And I almost went out of business. I ran out of money and, uh, but I've been guided the entire way. And it's like, it's like, I, I think different spirits here have always stepped in and made things work. Uh, and it led everything to where it is today. So have you always been sensitive? Have you seen and heard things your whole life? I had a kindergarten teacher who used to talk about her spirit. It was a Native American spirit that would throw her cat down the stairs. And mm. she told us stories every day. On the last day of school, she showed us a photograph. So I believed in ghosts for a long time. Uh, my great aunt had a, had a hotel that my great, great grandfather had started. Uh, no, I'm sorry, my great-grandfather. And he was said to haunt that. I saw his spear once. Um, and I think, yeah, I might have been sensitive, but I didn't really start picking up on that until I was running tours all the time. And I think that was fine-tuning myself uh, to be more tuned into them. So over the course of time, I've become very sensitive. And uh, I know a lot about what's going on with spirits. And, you know, I've got my spirit guys who tell me things, but I don't, I don't talk about that too much. Uh, yeah, I want people to have their own experience, but yeah, I, I'd say I've grown into someone who, who does know quite a bit and can feel a lot, but it didn't start that way. And so you wrote that first book and, yeah. where did, and where did and that lead you? That did really well and nobody wanted to publish it. So I learned how to publish as well. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> Before it was easy to, easy to do. Um, and then I did quit your job, moved to Key West and that was huge. Uh, and then, uh, Key West Hangover Survival Guide, Key West 101, Haunted Key West, um, then the biography of Robert the Doll, and now I've done key, you know Key West bucket lists and different travel guides, cookbooks on key lime pie. I used to be a chef, so uh, I think I've got about twenty, I think twenty books. 20, yeah, 20 some. Uh, I was impressed. I was like, this is all the same dude because <laughs> I was going through the the what range. The I know, because and, and then did you have one on the Swamp Ape? Did you write that, or was that written? The Swamp Ape was by my the friend Brad Bertelli, and he's a historian. It, it, he, it, it's such a brilliant book. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of fun material in Key West. So, what's the future for Robert the Doll? You know, I'm hoping that we keep making that child spirit stronger and get mm-hmm. the real story out about Robert. 
What's the what's the fail safe plan if something ever happens to David Sloan? Like who take who will then take care of like you would be the only one that really understands what's going on with that entity. Well, I've spent a lot of time researching him, but you know, um, I don't own Robert the doll. Robert's owned by the museum, and he's cared right. by the museum. And they look at him as an artifact, and and they do uh, their primary concern is is preserving him as an artifact. And of course, they understand the paranormal side of things, and and uh, you know they they embrace that too, but that's secondary to protecting him. Um, so he'll always be protected, and he'll always be cared for. And the people at the museum, um, the curator Corey Convertito, she she's taken great care of Robert for God over over a decade, I think. And uh, everybody at the museum has his best interest at heart. So I'm just I'm just one of. Uh, one of many characters has been fortunate enough to spend time with Robert. And just like everybody before, just like Myrtle Root or just like Gene Otto, um, just like Ann Otto, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to die and Robert's going to live on. Yeah. Well, he'll, he'll have no problem with that. I just hope that in my time, I'm able to let enough people know uh, about the spirits there uh, and uh, the ones that need to be taken care of. Have you had any people that have gone, like she was asking, they never could shake the curse. Like they, you know, years later you're hearing from these folks that went on your tour and were disrespectful and their lives have just not turned out or did it all eventually people who have been afflicted, does it eventually stop? I, I think for a lot of them, it stops. You know, there's some people who die and they attribute that and people around them attribute that to Robert the doll. Um, some people have serious injuries and that's something you never recover from. I, I talked to someone uh, they said that shortly after moving to Key West, her husband had disrespected Robert the doll. And the next day, one of his fingers was cut off by a lawnmower. Um, so he's never getting his finger back and he won't step foot in the fort again. But those, are, you know, of course, those are some of the extreme things. And people will talk about the more extreme things because that's what people want to hear. Right. I had somebody on the hunt last night and when they moved here, they couldn't find a house and they were having all these problems with it. So he uh, sent a postcard to Robert asking for Robert's help and apologizing if he had been disrespectful in the past. The next day they got a call from the realtor and they, they said, uh, these owners just, uh, these sellers just changed their mind. They want you to have the house. Oh, so this um, is a two way street here. Somebody else was in and they said that after they visited Robert on the hunt, they said, uh, you know, they took pictures with them. They were nice to Robert and respectful. They said they had great things happen. Their best year of business ever. So there's Robert a lot. Giveth and luck. Robert taketh away. Yeah, so there's a lot of good luck. It's the people who are disrespectful. And people say, what's disrespect? Well, we all know that as humans. You know, think about if you treated another human the way you treat the doll. We had no disrespect on our tour. We, we were scared. <laughs> Everybody was very, very good. And most people are so respectful. It's rare that somebody comes in and I'll have people that go up there and they say, Oh my God, I asked permission. I don't think that's an issue for most people. It's if you have malicious intent that you really invite the attachments, um, you know, if, because on the wall, it still says, remember, you need to ask Robert's permission to take a photo. Yeah. I saw that. a lot of people unknowingly do it every day. Uh, it's dangerous. It's a bad idea. I don't recommend it. Um, but I think most people, I think the spirits understand that it's not totally bad. And the bad ones, they want to latch on to people who deserve it. I think, I think, I believe that they're there to protect the child. But What's the role of those familial spirits, do you think, in your, in the doll in your life? Or in his, oh. Assuming that, is the idea that everybody has them, whether or not you're aware of it? That's what I'm told. And I believe that. I believe most of us have probably four or five family members who are around us and who watch over us. And then I think we've got two others and those ones aren't related to us. And some of them are with multiple people at the same time. Like caseworkers. Yeah. And I don't fully understand that aspect of it, but um, so th there's some that, or yeah, case balances. What do they do for you when you're in? What do you think they did for you? They I sure think, don't keep you from texting your ex. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think we may never know what they do. I mean, who knows what kind of stuff they're working behind the scenes to put us in the right place? I think one of them, 
um, got me lost uh, uh, and then appeared so, so that my car was right by the library, uh, right by the open parking spot with a sign that said library parking only. Uh, and I think one of them appeared to me and said, go to back to the library. I think they're jumping in, stopping me from making stupid decisions like, you know, going like back, giving, to the water, back to the yeah. corporate world. <laughs> or um, I think we may never know what it is. But, Any ghost that wants to sign me up with a self-sustaining business in a tropical paradise, I am welcoming that energy. So just yeah. lay out the business plan. I am all about it. Yeah, so you are also doing another venture right now, a ghostly adventure, right? Yeah, I'm involved in a really cool show called Scared and Alone. And Scared and Alone, we do live stream ghost hunts. And what makes them really cool there's a panel of, there's, there's about five of us. Um, it's hosted by Dean Hagland, who is one of the lone gunmen on the X-Files. Mm. And we send uh, Courtney, she's our ghost bait. We send her into different historic homes. Wrap yeah. her in sausage. <laughs> and she is alone. And I tell you, these places are so creepy. And uh, me and a couple of other panelists will help guide her through the house and give her suggestions on things to do to bring out the spirits and to try to interact. Like paranormal jackass or more respectful? We're more respectful. And it's great. People have described us as like being like the Scooby-Doo crew <laughs> because each of us fits in with one of those characters. And what I love about the show is we have the chat room where people who are watching live um, can talk about things that they're seeing. They can talk about things that they're feeling. They can give suggestions that we give to Courtney uh, that leads her through. And sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we're, we're, it scares the hell out of us. Uh, but the coolest thing about it is everybody is 100% legit. Nobody's, um, I mean, if we're being hokey, it's because we're hokey people. We're not, we're not, um, we're not making stuff up. We're, uh, you get a legit ghost hunt. Um, so it's an opportunity to go into some of these places. And when you watch Courtney, you feel what she's feeling. You feel her fear. Uh, you feel her excitement. And it's almost as if you're there. So it's a really cool show. And we usually do them, you know, we do them most Saturdays. It all depends on which locations are available. Uh, but season one just wrapped. So the Scared and Alone website, which very cryptic, it's scaredandalone.com. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll post it on our socials. That has all of the past episodes that we've done, which will give you a taste for it. And we're ramping up with season two. The first episode is going to be next Saturday. Nice. Nice. Yeah. David Sloan, Jack of all trades, ghost babysitter. It sounds like mm -hmm. Hugh Jackman lookalike, former cruise ship tour guide and author. I'm so happy that you made time for us today. Jenny, yeah. you got any parting shots? Are you questions? Anything? I am. I am amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed Barbara hasn't got on your lap yet. The cat. I know. Yeah, I've I've learned a lot today. I think ghost bait may be my calling. Mm -hmm. It's just the logical next step for your career. I think it is. This is David, fascinating. Where can people find you? Probably the easiest way. If people go to Haunted Key West, I've created a free haunted directory of, of everything in Key West. And that lists my ghost hunts as well as uh, other locally owned and operated ghost hunts. That way people can describe, decide which one's best, best for them. Uh, and then for books and stuff, phantompress.com. Phantompress.com. I highly recommend if you are in Florida, take the trip. Go down there. Take the Robert the Doll tour. It is incredible. It's, it's a memory situation that will last a lifetime, however long that is, depending on how you disrespect Robert. But it's totally worth it. And David Sloan, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. Yeah, Minda, it was incredible having your energy at the fort. And uh, oh, wow. I'll, I'll look forward to the next time with that. And yeah. Jenna, I can't wait to get you there because I, oh. re I really do think you have a career as ghost bait. <laughs> I I'm, about to, I'm about to pimp her out as ghost bait. She's like, not I'm allowed to go without me yeah. again. Yeah. We actually have a Robert the Doll prize pack that we're including with this episode. It's stuff that I got from David Sloan's gift shop. And we've got a t-shirt, we've got a shot glass, and we've got a mug for the lucky listener. So we're super excited about that. Someone Thank you. out there can have matching t-shirts with me. With Jenna and me, actually. 
So um, this has been Dead Girls Talking Podcast. You can find us anywhere where you stream your favorite shows. We are also on Facebook, Instagram. Now we're on TikTok. Um, now we're on we're, Twitter. We're on the Twitter. We're tweeting all over the place. We're tweeting yeah, all in your face. You're everywhere. We're everywhere. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening. David, once again, thank you. I'm Minda. I'm Jenna. Once again, we are Dead Girls Talking Podcast. Presented by the 910 Comedy Podcast Network.